which I see lots of new faces. And uh, um, let me just explain a little bit. This is Travis Moore. Give it up for Travis Moore. to um, pursue adoption, and a sweet, beautiful girl, I think we've got a picture of her, her name is Kezia, or going to be Kezia, uh, when she comes to the United States very, very soon, like we're hoping really soon. Like a month. Yeah. And so, uh, isn't she awesome? So, how, like, I'm not going to ask her again, but like, if you were here last week, you missed so much fun. Uh, so, Pastor Ben was here, and he decided to have Travis and Amber come up, and he wanted to interview them about the situation that they're in. Um, if you know anything about adoption internationally, you know it's not cheap. Um, and so this is where we get to, in the light of, of our series on dirty money, and the series uh, last week and this week on generosity, we wanted to highlight an opportunity for you, us as a body, as, as a family, to be generous. Um, to them. Now, they um, they needed to raise some funds, and this was obviously, if you know Travis and Amber at all, they're, they're like a lot of us, like they, they love to do things for people, but sometimes when people start doing things for you, try to bless you, like you're, you're a little bashful about it because um, it's you just love to give. So receiving is, and that's part of where our teaching is going to be today, but receiving is not always that easy. So, I wanted to turn it over to Travis and explain up to last week when they got up here and they were interviewed and then you guys were challenged uh, to give, um, I'm going to let him share what happened from there. All right. So I'm going to go back. Is it okay if I take two steps yeah. backwards? So about a year ago, we felt like God was paving the way for us to adopt. And so we decided to make that commitment to adopt. And it was going super good, but also really quick. And so a couple months ago, we did. We contacted Ben and Corey and said, you know, this is what we're doing. It's, it is expensive. Wondering, could the church do something? We're thinking to ourselves, you know, maybe, maybe anything could help. It's okay. But Ben was like, no, I want a specific need, a specific amount that you want. So Amber and I are like, okay, we know what we really need. What we really needed was $7,000. But we said, well, we do have this orphanage donation that's 5000 So we'll just tell him this. And, if we, and I said to Ben several times, you know, if we get halfway there, that would blow our minds. Uh, so that was where we were at, and we were praying and sort of processing through the coming up. And then last week, we came, and we shared about what we're doing. And we're still sort of expecting, you know, anything that Conduit gives would be awesome. And so oh, we were absolutely blown away with the generosity of this congregation. Blown away. Yeah. So we're, we were sitting in the back room afterwards as they're, as they're counting up how much was actually given generously to us. And first we hit that number. Well, first, like, we hit, yeah. Was like, the, I, I re-listened to the sermon online a couple days ago, and the interview was at the very end, and it was literally, it was like eight minutes left, and Pastor Ben hadn't necessarily directly challenged you guys to give um, specifically to that, and it was like the last few minutes of the service. Like people, you guys were getting out of your seats and walking and like writing checks. You could hear like checks ripping, cash flowing. It was yeah. It was like nothing ever I had ever experienced. We were totally blown away with the generosity. So we we started. They started telling us how much was was given, and Amber and I. They hit the goal first of all for the five thousand, and then Ben comes back 
and says, not only did we hit 5,000, but from other, other donations that were done electronically, the number actually was the exact number that we needed, $7,000. <laughs> I knew it was coming to surprise me. <laughs> I'll be honest, I tested that out this morning. That was way louder than I anticipated. So. But awesome. really, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. And, and it did show us throughout the week that God has a plan for this little one. And we have no idea what it's going to be, but he, he has shown himself that he is in the midst of this. Thank you for being a part of it with us. It is awesome. Yes, awesome. Thank you. Yes! Merry Christmas, everyone! <laughs> if you've not seen that movie, uh, there you've seen the best parts. Um, generosity changes everything. Not just for the giver, but for the receiver. Um, and this morning, I just want to take a moment to say thank you. Um, Travis, I, I believe he's downstairs actually working with the kind of kids, but that was Travis's It's a Wonderful Life moment. Um, and you got to be a part of it. You were the town, so to speak, that gathered around. Many of you may not even know Travis well, or at all. But you heard the need, you saw the face, you heard the Lord ask you to give, and you gave. Generosity. No one ever regrets that. No one ever regrets that sacrifice that has been, that has been given. Matthew chapter 6 says, in verse, take a look at with me. In verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor dust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So we are week, uh, second to last week in our Dirty Money series, and it was supposed to be, today was supposed to be on stewardship. Um, but judging in ben and I, Pastor Ben and I's conversation in the about eight minutes of teaching that he got, uh, got to last week, um, he felt like this was more, stewardship really is generosity celebrated. So we really want to just take a moment this morning and celebrate your generosity. We want to celebrate what generosity is and what Jesus describes it as, and that where our treasure is, our heart will follow. Where our treasure is, our heart will follow. I'm not normally a list guy uh, or, um, you know, five steps to this or this or this, but I do have three things on generosity I want you to write down. So either on a piece of paper, in your Bible, on your phone, these are three things on generosity. Briefly, number one is putting value on what matters. Putting value... Did that just fall? That's crazy. Was on the light? They're going to fall for months. It's okay. I got a long afternoon of cleanup uh, in my life. Um, oh, putting value on what matters most. Celebration. 
Think of your life. What do you celebrate? What do you celebrate? Both inwardly, in your own life, um, in others' lives. What do you celebrate? What do you place value on? Where is your treasure? Just ponder that for a moment. Before we move on, I want you to literally just answer that question in your mind. When was the last time I celebrated something, someone? Birthdays are a gimme, right? Like, first birthday for a kid, you put a cake in front of them and you watch them make a, 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 a mess of them. You're celebrating, you made it to one, good job, buddy. You got a long road ahead, so might as well make as much mess as you want now and we'll clean it up for you because the rest of your life is about you cleaning up your own mess. But you celebrate different things, right? Um, and many of you celebrate anniversaries, um, especially when they get to be like, which are so rare and unheard of now, is like 60 years or 70 years anniversary. Beautiful. Um, or perhaps you know someone who is rounding close to 100 years old. That is extremely rare. And you celebrate 100 years uh, of somebody's birthday. We, it's easy to celebrate birthdays. It's easy to celebrate when a kid does well on a report card. It's easy to celebrate a raise. It's easy to celebrate all these things that everyone celebrates. It's not necessarily incredibly unique, but I'm asking you, what do we ultimately celebrate in our heart? I don't mean like throw confetti cannons, make a cake, but what in your mind would you define as your treasure? What do you place value on? What is the greatest commodity that you have that you seek to get? Um, we all have it. It's either a thing, or maybe it's time, or maybe it's status, or respect, or something that feeds our ego. And if we're completely honest, um, a lot of us have, if we narrow it down to treasure, we, we narrow it down to maybe a thing. Like, think about the thing in your life that, that is like, you'll spend money on, that you don't even need to think about it. Like, it just, it's gonna happen. Like, it doesn't even matter, like, dude, you spend this much money on blank in a month, and you're like, it don't, don't matter, it's going to happen. Coffee, right? Guilty, right? Uh, kids, clothes, food, whatever it is. Like, recently, our house, I feel like our grocery bills are through the roof, and, and I think it's because our kids, even though my oldest is only 10, they eat so much food. But then there's this conversation that we have constantly, like even though our grocery bills are high and there's certainly areas to be more frugal on and, and to save, it's still only going to go up because our oldest is 10 and our youngest is 9 months and we got 5 kids that like to eat. That's only going to increase, right? But what is the thing in your life that you don't even necessarily think about that you would say, like, there's not even a process of I'm going to spend that or not? Or, or what is the thing maybe you're seeking after uh, and, and again, I, I, mean, I don't want to make this too spiritual. Just, just, it's a general question of something that you place value on. Because ultimately, um, Ben said a phrase the first week kicking off the Dirty Money series that, that has, I think, has set my mind in, in what the point of this whole series is. is. He said something to the effect of before the fall, um, there was no currency. There was no money. There's no need for money. And so, all of a sudden, before Adam and Eve sinned, before sin entered the world, there was this, like, value was about what God had and what he allowed us to experience with him. 
And then after the fall, when sin entered the world, this kingdom of earth idea entered. And for us, it became this moment of, of identifying what is mine and what is yours. Um, where is your treasure? Where is our treasure? Um, Jesus challenges us to lay up ourselves for ourselves treasures not on this earth, things that will rust away where thieves can steal, but lay up yourselves for yourselves treasures in heaven. So he's identifying that there are certainly things that we can have treasure in in this life um, that we can buy, that we can purchase, that we can earn. But then there are things, these other things, that we can lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. What are the treasures of heaven? Think about that. For your life, for others' lives, what is treasures in heaven? Is it souls? Is it people? Is it time? What, what is that thing that we so quickly run past? Oh, yeah, yeah, God, yeah. You don't need to not lay treasures, you don't need to lay treasures in heaven. Like, I, I got it, I got it. But we move past what that actually means in our life. Practically, what does that mean in your life? What is a treasure in heaven? Relationship. Experiencing God. Experiencing his love. The ultimate treasure that he has for us is what I want to explore today, which is salvation, eternal life. It's this beautiful picture, this beautiful gift that he has given us. So, number one was putting value on what matters. Celebration. Questioning in our minds, what do we actually celebrate? Number two, it's not about quality or quantity. Generosity is not about quality or quantity. Think about that. Last week, Travis was here. You were challenged to um, help give generosity to Kezia in that process of where they're at. Imagine if you walked up and you wrote a check um, for this to happen, and the check was handed back to you, and it said, um, or and we said, hey, this, it's really not going to help. It's, it's thanks anyways. Have a nice day. It'd be ridiculous, right? Absolutely ridiculous, because there's no like value put on the heart of generosity. The heart of generosity is not about the amount. Think about this. Do you know of someone that gave something to you, even if that gift was time, attention, and they, and they treated it like, okay, this is a one-time thing. Like, I, I, I came to Thanksgiving, and, and, and now we're good. We're good, because I gave you this time, or I gave you this thing. And all of a sudden, they're putting value on the quantity of how many times it happened. Am I, am I making any sense? So sometimes we put value on the wrong things, and it's not quality, and it's not quantity. It's not about that. Generosity is ultimately number three, and then I want to explore some of these um, with you. Number three is it's about the heart. It's about the heart. It's the direction that we run, the direction we pursue. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He doesn't say, wherever your heart is, your treasure is going to follow. Although that may be on this earth a little bit, like, arguably true. But Jesus is challenging us, saying, wherever your treasure is, your heart 
will be also. Your heart will follow. Because I can guarantee you this. I guarantee you that in December, when Kezia comes home as Kezia Moore, and she comes to conduit for the first time, I can guarantee you when she walks by, everyone's going to be like, yes! Like, where's my confetti cannon? She is here. Like, all of a sudden, there's something about what you did when you gave. And now even you're being excited and, and like, you have the opportunity to give to this, this, this moment for them. Like, your heart came with it. Your heart followed what was happening. And that is the ultimate heart of the church when we talk about finances. When we invite you to give your tithe and offering, when we invite you to be over and abundant in offering or in generosity, we're not challenging you to some rigorous thing for anybody's pleasure or for some like re religious practice that pleases God. We're inviting you to this glorious thing called generosity that you get to experience the joy that so many, so many of you did when you gave. And your heart followed. And your heart followed. So, just real quick, the three things. Putting value on what matters most. Number two, it's about quality. Not, it's not about quality or quantity. And number three, it's about the heart. We value, you put value on what we celebrate. Now, think about the treasures for a moment. Um, Acts 2, Acts 4 is where we were last week. And I briefly want to just put in light Acts chapter 4. So if you could turn there, Acts 4 in verse 30. It begins to talk about the generosity of the early church. And, and again, in, in Ben's, Pastor Ben's teaching, he focused a little bit about how some people sold land to meet a need. Somebody in the church. People gave, I mean, maybe they didn't have a land. Maybe they had a, a donkey they could sell or, or like a chariot. I don't know. Like things that they had they could sell and give to the need as they saw fit, right? It challenged them to something better, bigger that brought greater joy than anything could bring. Um, let's go ahead and read that. Acts 4 and verse 30. Um, and when they had prayed, the place which they were gathered was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own. You want to see the greatest picture of the church? Right there. That everything that we have is not our own. You see, God isn't ultimately asking you. I think sometimes when we think about generosity and laying it all down, we think of the rich young ruler of how Jesus challenged him to literally give it all away and come follow him. And I think that there's some absolute legitimacy to that situation, some absolute legitimacy to God and Jesus challenging you through the power of the Holy Spirit to say literally, give it all up and follow me. But ultimately, he knows you need a roof over your head. He knows you live in western New York. He gets that. He understands that. He understands that you need food for your, to sustain you. He understands that you need to provide for your family. He understands these practical things that we need in our lives. But what he's ultimately after, 
He's challenging us in this moment to say, look at what you have. Is it yours or is it mine? And when we give it to God, we ultimately are saying, it's the church's. It's, I don't mean like the, the, it's the church, it's the body of Christ. What do you need? If I have it, it's yours. Maybe you don't need to keep it. Maybe you just need to borrow it. Maybe you just need to like use it for a moment. And that's anything from possession to joy, to time, to an ear. Generosity doesn't just have to do with our stuff. Generosity has everything to do with who we are and what we're giving to others. That's what they did, and that's what the one heart was like. They no longer said that it was about what they owned, but they viewed it as if nothing they had was their own. It says in verse 33, great power, and with great power the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners and lands of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of that which was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Almost sounds like socialism. Um... No, I thought that was funny. Uh, What is a church in Jamestown, what is a church in the United States of America, what does it look like, the family, to not just have one heart and soul, but what does it look like for everyone here to not have a need? Have you ever thought about that? I, I have. Like, literally, like, practically. I'm a practical, like, okay, this, like, I'm taking this literally. If, if, if we're, if conduit's supposed to look like the early church, filled with the Holy Spirit, many coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, lives transformed, community happening, gospel community happening, our open houses flowing with like love and, 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 and unity with one another. What, like, what does that really look like for the needs that you have? Because I don't think he's referring to emotional needs in this portion. Just go with me for a second. He's not saying, well, well yeah, like everyone's needs emotionally were met. No, he's saying literally they were met. No, no one had any need. What would that look like here? What would that look like? I mean, do we take half of the service and we just kind of survey on the screen? Okay, like, uh, Bobby needs a new car this week and, and, and Zach needs a new gun for hunting. It's season's coming up. And, 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 like, and like, like, Chris needs a new bike. Um, his other one broke. And like, the, the, is that what that looks like? I don't think so. Because we say church, and this is what you think of. You, you know what it looked like then? A living room. Do you know what was on their, on their, on their lap? Food. Do you know what was in their heart? 
Holy Spirit. Do you know what was on their mind? Each other. Their minds and their hearts and everything was all, all of a sudden turned toward one another. Not because they were filled with so much affection for one another, or not because they were filled with so much like, like, I love this church and it's so fun and they shoot confetti cannons and, and like, like, there wasn't that at all. It was, I know that Jesus saved me and I know that he's alive. Think about it. Guys, this early church, like most, a lot of them, seen the risen Jesus, saw the risen Jesus. They experienced God. Like, not just the power of the Holy Spirit moving amongst them and moving in their life, but they saw Jesus crucified, risen, ascending. They experienced what had happened. And so they knew that even as many of them, guys, even at this point, like we don't know what this is like, but a lot of them were even murdered for going to a house church, for following this Jesus, for claiming that he was Lord, claiming that he rose from the dead. So they laid it all on the line, and so they knew that when they looked at, at one another in that living room, it was real. God was real. They were real. They were in it. They didn't do what we typically do sometimes nowadays. I'm so grateful for our country. But unfortunately, sometimes it lets us take our faith for granted. It lets us take it and, and look at one another and, and, and look at each other's needs and be like, too busy, too, got too much going on. I, I really can't meet that need. And that's not an exhortation. That's just the reality, right? of every church. And the thing I want to celebrate today is that although I know that you are the church, although I know that you proved, like you passed the test of amazing generosity last week, I want to challenge your heart. I want to challenge your mind that the true church makes it happen. The true church looks at one another and does life together, looks at one another and makes themselves open and vulnerable and available to one another. Because so, so many of us, honestly, if we did take the time and we did go through the needs, I guarantee a lot of you would be like, I'm all in, always. Like, what's the need? I'm there. If I mentioned or asked you guys, there's a need that needs to take place, and, and literally there are, we hear of them every week. But we don't take the time to, to necessarily, it's not the design of what we're trying to do. But you'd be all in. But so many of us aren't even available to make that happen. Churches treated so flippantly. I might come this week. I might not. Yeah, I might, might go to an open house. Maybe. I don't know how I feel about it. It's like, are, you, are we like, we're comparing what happened here and what's happening. I just want to challenge you lovingly. Like the, what the true church is, is looking someone face to face in light of what God has done for you and letting that overflow to them. Not to just pay their bills, but to meet their needs, to be an ear, to give a hug, to be available in their life. Are you available? And I'm here to celebrate with many of you of what happened last week, but I'm also here to challenge you. Many of us, many of us 
Our focus in our life is us. What's best for us? What fits in my schedule? What I've got going on? What I want to do? When the gospel is challenging us constantly to look at one another. Now, a lot of you are like, come on, preach it, man. Like, I know it's exactly what I'm feeling. And some of you are like, dude, this guy's a jerk. And, and if you knew me, you know my heart. And like, I'm really not a jerk. And I really, well, maybe some of you that know me think I'm a jerk too. But that's fine. Uh, I love you anyways. But if you're offended by that, maybe I am talking to you. Maybe God is challenging, the, challenging you in this moment in comparison with the early church and what the gospel meant for them, that the gospel hasn't changed. Jesus hasn't changed. The power of the Holy Spirit hasn't changed. Maybe it's challenging us to stop looking in the mirror and to let the Holy Spirit's power and generosity and provision and love and time and availability to flow to the person next to you. Maybe open house isn't about what you get. Maybe it's about what you give. Maybe you're supposed to be there for somebody else. Maybe you're supposed to be here for somebody else. Whole lots of people on Conduit, at Conduit North Saturday night, I see tons of people that need people there for them. So I just want to encourage you and challenge you to that, that the early church was this picture of the gospel, and it shouldn't be any different today. And I love Conduit because I think that we get it think you get it. And praise God that he's working through you. And praise God that he's doing things like he did last week. But he's not done. And nor are we taking a giant, um, you know, are we taking an extra over-the-top generosity offering for for somebody's new car this morning? No. No. Because I think that probably would get old real quick, right? But when we get our heartstrings moving, we act. Now, um, what I want you to think about is I showed you this clip. Um, have you, have you, how many of you have seen the whole movie, It's a Wonderful Life? So I showed you the good part. But let me give you the, the premise of the movie. That, that George Bailey, the, the main character, you saw him, um, he is, he is the, 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 the average guy. A great guy. Uh, in fact, he, it starts out the movie kind of showing, like, bringing your heartstrings into why you like this guy and how he, he uh, saved his brother. They were sledding down a hill, and they slid into the ice, and he saved his brother, and he ended up losing hearing in, in one of his ears because of it. And, like, it just kind of outlines his life and what life looked like back then for him. And his life was filled with being there for others. Always. Whether it's his brother in the ice, or his friends, or even as an adult. The moment, like one of the scenes that I think about all the time from this movie, is the moment, when, like right after um, him and Mary get, get married. They get in the car, and they're, they got the cans and the strings behind the car, and they're like ready to go, the back seat, like everybody's like, yay, yay, yay. And they're driving out of town, like they're married, woohoo. And all of a sudden, he's driving out, and he sees the bank. Uh, Bailey building and loan that, that he works at, that he runs. 
And he sees what's happening ultimately in the country has now affected the front door of that place. And he sees all these people that are wanting to get in to get their money out because they're scared of what's happening in the economy. And literally, he's, he's on his way out to honeymoon land. And he says to the driver, stop. I got to get out. And he goes in and he, he climbs over all the people. And he, one by one, he begins to take his money, his money, and share it with these people so they can meet their bills. They can meet their needs. And it's the most beautiful picture of generosity, not just like with money, but he was there for people. He was a good man. Even when he had an opportunity through Mr. Potter to, to, to like sell out, he didn't. Because he wanted to stay true to his character. He wanted to stay true to the man that he was raised to be. A reflection of his father. A good man, a generous man, who was available, who was giving. But something, a crisis happened halfway through the movie. There was a misplacement of $8,000 um, at the Bailey Building and Loan. And at that misplacement, um, ultimately he's responsible. And it just sets off this, this stress storm in George's life, in George's mind, and he snaps. He, he does what a lot of us are maybe even on the verge of doing. Like, it's building up. It's building up. I can't make it. I can't do it. I can't do this any longer. And, and, in, and in full movie fashion, of course, um, Guardian Angel appears, um, Clarence, and, and he basically says... Um, or around this time, he basically says, I wish I was never born. Right? The wind blows, the snow comes flying in, Clarence shows up, and he jumps over the, his long story. But anyways, all this thing happens, and all of a sudden, his wish became true. George Bailey was never born. And now Clarence is going to walk him through in this crisis moment, in the middle of this movie. He walks him through like this, this horrible city, this horrible town, Bedford Falls, of what life would be like without him. And he begins to see all the people that he knows and that he's give, given to and, and, and given his life to and given money to. And he begins to realize that he actually, none of them recognize him, and it drives him even more into this like building of stress, building of crisis. And he begins to realize that his wish actually became true. He got a picture, he got a glimpse of what life was really like. He lost sight, he lost sight of the gratitude that he should have had for his life. Now, before you. Um, thinking you had like, uh, why is he preaching a movie and not the word? Follow me, okay? Um, when he got his life back, when he woke up, so to speak, and you saw the last few moments, he woke up to the reality that he still owed $8,000, and for then that was a lot more than $8,000 is worth. Now, he's going to go to jail. And so we walk in, and we see this clip of him walking into his house, and you got the reporters there, the bank examiner there. This guy's going to jail. It's done. And I don't know if anybody else noticed this, but like his kids were home alone with these people. Did anybody notice that? Mary was gone? What is that about? 
CPS better got called in that situation. Like, um, anyway, he's got bigger problems than eight grand. <laughs> his kids are three strangers. Anyways, so he walks in, and all of a sudden, he's just happy to be alive. He's just happy to see his family. He doesn't care he's going to jail. He just, like, he just is so consumed with, God, thank you for my life. Thank you for my family. Thank you for this big drafty house. He's just filled with such joy. He doesn't care. But then all of a sudden, what happens was all these people that he had helped, his wife went out, left the, leaving her kids at home, went out and told them what was up. And they willingly made themselves available to meet that need over and abundant. This was the, the Travis Moore moment for him. This was the George Bailey moment where everybody came in and, as you saw, gave out of generosity to meet the need. Now, why is this movie, which at the time was not a great movie, it's only becoming bigger as time goes on. This wasn't made yesterday, and so, like, literally, it's become more of a classic as time goes on. But why is this movie hit our heartstrings? Not only does it woo us in with his life and what happened early on, why does it woo us now? Why, does this, why did I just show you this like amazing second, last, final scene? Because it draws us into something that's not real. If you're honest and I'm honest, we feel like our life is the opposite of that movie. We start out with adulthood. We start out in relationship. We start out in whatever situation. We start out at a church thinking in our mind that all these people are going to be here for me. And then in my time of crisis, in my time of need, no one's there. No one came, no group of people came rushing through my front door coming to meet my need. I was left alone on the bridge. No one cared. I started out and it seemed like everybody cared. But now they don't. What Jesus is challenging us to, when we put our treasure in what matters, when our heart follows, we get a glimpse of what life really is. But the unfortunate thing is when we talk about generosity, a lot of us, even in celebration this morning, a lot of us are still focused on our need. You know what I think? Not, not, I think God's word is completely perfect and inerrant and all that. But you know what I think? I think there are lots of needs. But I think the reality was like, I don't need anything. I got all I need. Think about it. Jesus said the poor always be with you. So was it that all, all of a sudden, the early church, everybody was rich? That wasn't it at all. There was this amazing attitude, like George Bailey, at the end of that movie, where he arrives, listen, and he says, I don't need anything. And he got what he needed. Treasures. Every treasure that we seek outside of Christ craves us, needs us. Jesus is the only treasure, is the only treasure that we need. It's actually the only treasure that paid for us. If you think about it. 
you think about all the religions, you think about all the gods since the beginning of time, even the, the gods, the different false gods they talk about in the Old Testament. It's always about what you can bring to God. What you can collect, what you can give to the God of the moon, or to the God of the sun, so it can help your crops grow, so you can feed your animals and your family. Like, there's all, all this, like the God of, of, of sex, the God of wine, the God of, of all these things that like, if you bring and you do and you bring all these things to this God, then this God will repay because of your gift and he will give to you because you gave to him. And that's why, guys, Abraham and Isaac is simply, like, radically changes everything. There's this moment where, where, where Abraham brings a sacrifice to God because that was completely normal in those days. He was bringing something to God. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in his lack, God brought a gift to him. God brought a lamb, a ram for the sacrifice as the ultimate picture of the one gift that he was going to give at some point in the future. You see, Jesus is, and God, they, they, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're the ones that literally brought to us a gift, a treasure that is to be treasured, that we can't buy, that we can't earn, that we can't cool oaks down. In our need, he showed up. He is the treasure. It can't be bought. But it can be believed in. It can be received. Now, part of bringing Travis up here this morning, and part of like the best point of my day last Sunday, was standing in the back and like Travis and, and Amber realizing like how much came in. The best part of generosity, guys, is sometimes the recipient or the receiving. And so for us, like, to be, for them to be able to receive is the best part of our generosity. It's the best part of your generosity. It's the same thing with God. His ultimate gift, Jesus, has to be received. It's there. It's, it's given. It's risen. It's waiting. But it's a gift that I want to ask, have you received? It's a treasure that you have received. And when you put your treasure and understand that he is the treasure, your heart will follow. God isn't just talking about money. He's talking about your heart. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And when he has your heart, everything flows. Everything flows. To him, to you, to the church, to the believers, to the needs. It's not all of a sudden about the kingdom of heaven. It's not about what I have. It's about what we have. The kingdom of earth is about what I've got and what I have in my wallet and what I have at my house and what you have in your house and what you have in your garage. The kingdom of heaven is about what do you need? The kingdom of, of, of this earth is I've got all these needs and I've got all these things that I need help with. But the kingdom of heaven is about yeah, like, I may have some needs, but, like, I, I don't need anything. What do you need? There's this back and forth of, like, have you ever been out to eat or lunch with somebody and you're, like, fighting over who's going to pay the bill? That is the kingdom of heaven. That's the idea of, like, no, I'll pay, no, I'll pay. Or if you've maybe been at lunch with people and they've been like, no, you pay, no, you pay, no, you pay. The whole idea is that there's joy that comes from generosity. 
And there's celebration for it. That when our heart, when our treasure is focused, our heart will always follow. Think about what Jesus gave up to be with you. Yeah, he gave up his life. But for a moment, he gave up his Father. Because God is holy. And in order to take your sin and my sin, he had to be forsaken on that cross. And so when he gave that up, he gave up his glory. He gave up his reputation. He gave up everything for you. Think about the value that you have because of that. Not because of how amazing you are or what you can bring to God, but ultimately that he was the gift and the sacrifice that he gave his life for you. So my question, have you received the generosity of God? Have you received that gift? Do you live in that gift? For you, is it about this decision, like, yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross, and I know, I know that, that, that like, he, he loves me and all that, but, like, have you literally given it all to him because he gave it all for you? Would you stand? This morning, as you go, as you celebrate what not only you have done through your generosity, but ultimately what God has done in his generosity. Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? And I want you to ask yourself, I know the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, but have I received it? It's right in front of you. And by faith, you can have that. Your sins can be forgiven. His ultimate gift is peace. His ultimate gift is mercy. The word says that he is rich in mercy. He is rich in love. He wants to forgive you. He wants to share heaven with you. Everything he lost on that day, when currency had to enter the world, when money had to enter the world, it was never about money. It wasn't even about the value of things on this earth. It was the value to prove that ultimately that you were something he valued so much that he wanted to pursue you and die for you so that you could be with him. He purchased us with his blood. And so by faith, I ask you, would you receive Jesus as your Savior? Would you invite him right now to come into your life? Would you confess your need for him? I promise you, based on the authority of God's word, I promise you he will forgive you if you ask. It says in 1 John, if you confess your sins, he is faithful, he is just to forgive you of your sins. He is willing, he is able to handle the weight. Why are you running? Why are you saying, no, 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 I'll pay for this meal? Why are you saying, I got this, God? You don't got it. I don't got it. He bought it. He already paid for it and walked out. He's just coming back in because he wants to be with you. Would you let him? He is sovereign. He is God. Jesus, thank you. 
saving us. Thank you for your ultimate generosity. We celebrate that this morning. Not just what you meet in our life, tangible needs, like for the Moore family, or the roof over our head, or the food on our plate. But God, we ultimately thank you and we honor you and we praise you for forgiving us of our sins, for seeing our great need, for seeing that you are holy and we are not. So God, I just encourage these people this morning that by faith, they would receive you. They'd receive that gift. And that today would be the beginning of a new life. Old things have passed, new things have come. Your currency changes everything. Our money is no good here. Our money is no good here. But you paid it all.